Well, this morning, I am the fill-in batter. That's right. But what God gave me, I, I'm, just, I'm just constantly amazed by God. God, we, we had, whenever our, our college and career class first got started years ago, I was in college and Brother Randy Briggs was our initial teacher in what is now our hyphen class. We called it college and career back then. And we had a t-shirt that our class designed and Jed Smith was, um, was the one that designed the t-shirt and had a little guy on it, had a little bubble above his head and he was sitting there painting or, or writing or doing something, it was a side view of him. And the little thought bubble above him just said, God's smart. At, because every day we would go, every Sunday we would go over something and just blew our minds, you know, something so simple. But, but God in his infinite wisdom makes it apply to us and, and just opens our understanding. And so this morning we're with Brother Chris and Sister Marissa out celebrating their anniversary. We're going to be taking a break from the Beatitudes. And, and it has, if you have not been able to be here for all of them, we started the Beatitudes in June of 2022. And we're still going. We're a little bit past halfway. So we're, we're thinking we may finish this year, possibly. So in, in that vein, you know, the Beatitudes is three chapters long. It, and I can't remember off the top of my head. I meant to look, and I completely forgot to. But the the Beatitudes is three chapters long. And I, you know, as I was preparing for today, I'm preaching today, and then I'm preaching another Sunday later on in March, whenever um, Brother Chris is scheduled to go and preach somewhere else. And so I thought, you know, what would fit in with this? And I couldn't really figure out anything on my own. And then finally, whenever God gave me something, I thought, oh, no. Oh, oh, oh no, we've, we've been on the Beatitudes since June, and God gave me Psalm 119. It's 176 verses. Like, oh, Lord, that, that's a three-year series right there. But, but this morning, we're going to detour off into that. God put it in my heart. And we're going to dip our toes into the water as there isn't enough time to go through the entirety of it in one study or even in a few studies. But today we're going to dive off into Psalm 119, Aleph. Now, if you have never read Psalm 119, I encourage you to go and do so. You may not be able to read it all in one sitting if that's not your thing open the Bible app and listen to it uh, and it is it's tremendous there are a lot of verses in Psalm 119 that you'll recognize a phrase or two oh I've heard that before I didn't know that was from Psalm 119 but the first eight verses are Aleph and so before we get too deep into the river let's go ahead and read our main passage of, of Scripture this morning Psalm 119 verses 1 through 8 and this is what it says, Aleph, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they 
that keep his testimonies and them that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with, an, with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. And in the context of what we have been talking about through the Beatitudes and talking about keeping the statutes and the precepts of God, not just the words that they say, but the spirit of where they come from and the attitude of righteousness. The, this passage just fit right in with that. It's a, it's a wonderful passage of Scripture. But as I'm sure you've guessed, because it's usually how God talks to me, there's more here than just a surface level meaning or understanding. See, God instructs us to study, and I believe that means taking the Word of God apart to know not just what the words say, but what they mean and what God's wanting to say to me. Right? That's what we've been talking about since June is the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew what the words said. They had no problem quoting back to you what the words said, but they didn't know what it meant in context with a relationship with God. And so 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 is where we have the verse that God instructs us, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And when you're dividing the word of truth, that does not mean that you're cutting it down the middle and saying, this is good and this is not. It's not like whenever you're cutting the fat out of catfish, it, you know, where you throw the black away. That's not what it means. Divide, rightly dividing the word of truth means taking it apart and realizing this applies to me and this applies to you and this is, this is what is meant by more than just the words that are said. So today we're going to do some of that. So first, a little bit of background on Psalm 119 itself. Psalm 19 is one of three so-called Torah psalms or instruction psalms. The word Torah means law or instruction in Hebrew. Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 119 are all Torah or instruction psalms. And interestingly enough, each of these instruction psalms are also then followed immediately by one or more messianic psalms that give some foreshadowing or prophecy of the Messiah. Psalm 1 is followed by Psalm 2, which is a messianic psalm. Psalm 19 is followed by Psalm 20, which is a messianic psalm. Psalm 119 is so massive that instead of following it with one messianic psalm, Psalms 120 through 134 are the messianic psalms that follow 119. And this pairing of instruction and messianic prophecy is actually a, a, a device that the Hebrews would use in their literature, and it was called interpretation by attachment. One piece of literature would give information or idea 
and the one attached or paired with it would give further expounding or deeper meaning to the first. And so the idea is that meditating on the scripture leads to trust in the Messiah. And even though the Jews today don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, they are still looking for the Messiah. They still believe in the Messiah as a person, as a, 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 a soon coming king. They just think he hasn't come yet. So they're still looking for and hoping for the Messiah. They still believe in the Messiah, just not in the same way that we do. They don't have the full truth, but that's they still call those messianic psalms because they are giving portents of the Messiah. And so Psalm 119 is also one of several acrostic psalms, which are psalms that follow patterns. Psalm 119's pattern is that it's divided into 22 sections. Each section has eight verses. And each section has a heading, which is a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, read in the original Hebrew, not in English, because everything doesn't translate over exactly perfectly from Hebrew to English, because they're completely different, as we're going to see in just a second. But read in the original Hebrew, every line, meaning every verse, begins with that section's letter. So our section is titled Aleph. And if you look in your Bible, you can see that verse 1 has Aleph. If you go down to verse 9, you will see, uh, you will see the second letter in the, the Hebrew alphabet, which is Bet. And it's B-E-T or B-E-T-H in English, but it's pronounced Bet. And so each eight-verse section is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and every line in that section starts with that letter. So David, the assumed author of Psalm 119, was creating this huge literary work, 176 verses, but it's more than just a pretty poetry piece or, or pretty wording, as we'll see. So to understand some of the deeper meaning here, then we're going to need to dip our minds into the language of Hebrew itself. And it may start to sound like a school lesson, but just stick with me because I'm going somewhere with this, and it's pretty awesome. Now, our English alphabet, we have 26 letters, A to Z. In Hebrew, they have 22 letters, Aleph to Tav. Wait, you say, Aleph to Tav? Doesn't Jesus say, I'm the Alpha and Omega? Yes, good catch. Only that's in Revelation, and Revelation was written in Greek, not Hebrew. In Greek, Alpha is the first letter, Omega is the last letter, like our A and Z. So he is the Aleph to Tav. And, that, and in fact, the, the Hebrew people say that. Instead of saying Alpha and Omega, they say the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end. So the Hebrew has 22 letters, Aleph to Tav, and here they are. These are the Hebrew letters. Now, over here is the first letter because Hebrew is written opposite of ours. We read left to right. They read right to left. So even if you learn the letters and begin to understand how to make a, a Hebrew word, you have to read it backwards. 
their Bible starts where we would normally see the back page. That's their front page, and it goes the other way. So that's why Aleph is up here. But the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, starting with Aleph and ending down here with Tav, the language of God's people. And this is the language of God's chosen and the language that he used to communicate with his people and ultimately the rest of the world. And Jewish tradition holds that Hebrew is the language of God himself and that when he spoke all of creation into existence, he used these 22 letters and this language to do so. And because of the deep meaning within their language, I can't really argue the point all that much, especially since I wasn't there. You know, so I can't really give any argument to that. But let me explain what I mean about the deep meaning of their language. Here is our English letter A. So the Hebrew is Aleph. We, our counterpart would be the English letter A. The capital A looks like a teepee. The lowercase a looks like a soap bubble stuck on the wall. In school, nobody ever tells us why the capital A looks like a teepee and the lowercase a looks like a circle stuck onto a wall. It doesn't matter. There, there is no meaning in the way that our letter is shaped. We know it says a and a and a and it's a vowel. Next letter. That's it. That's all that there is to our English letters. But in Hebrew, it's a completely different matter because there is more to the letter than meets the eye. Every letter in Hebrew has a meaning in and of itself, and it has a numerical value. So our letter today, our section is Aleph. So let's look at Aleph. This is the Hebrew letter Aleph. If you're writing in Hebrew, that's how you make an Aleph. It's a little bit more complicated than our A, just slightly, but, but that's okay. So first, a little rabbit trail. Why do we call ours alphabet? Why is that the name for our grouping of letters? The words come from the first two letters of the Greek alphabet, which are alpha and beta. You put those two together and you have the word alpha beta, or in Latin it was alpha betum, and in English we've shortened it to alpha bet. However, in Hebrew, the first letter is aleph and the second is bet, so theirs is alpha, or theirs is aleph bet, or depending on your dialect, Aleph base. That, that's what they say instead of alphabet. Back to Aleph. That was just extra for you just because I thought it was interesting. The Aleph itself is sometimes a silent letter without the presence of other markings which give it different vowel sounds. And as the first letter of their Aleph bait, it has a numerical value of one because it is the first letter. And the letter itself has three core meanings. It means master, it means teacher, and it means wondrous. The Aleph itself is actually composed of three other letters. Can you go back to yeah, the alphabet? So the Aleph 
is composed of the yod on the top of it, a yod on the bottom of it, and then it has a vav slanted in the middle. And that is the way you make an aleph is with two yods and a vav. And there, there's a reason. From the work of Rabbi Aaron L. Raskin, who is an amazing Hebrew teacher, um, go back to the, the Aleph slide. I'm sorry, I didn't put that in my notes. The Yod above, this piece right here, represents God who is above or beyond our comprehension in comparison to his true essence, our understanding is a mere dot or mark or small piece. The yod below, right here, represents the Jewish people or any human here on earth. The only way that we can grasp God's wisdom to the extent that a person is capable is by being humble or below. And we realize that we are but a dot or speck compared to the almighty and all-powerful God. We have to become a vessel to receive his divine wisdom. The diagonal vav in the middle represents the Torah. Since the Torah is what unites the Jew with God, the aleph represents this unity between God and mankind, and this is the design or form of the Aleph. So from Hebrew tradition, we can see that every stroke of making the Aleph and every other letter as well in their alphabet has a special purpose and that there's much more to learning their Aleph bait than just mastering the sounds. How awesome is that? The letter Aleph. All that meaning in just one letter However, that is the perspective from a very knowledgeable Jewish rabbi who does not believe in Jesus because he is a, a traditional Jew. John J. Parsons, blending Kabbalistic literature with the New Testament, puts it this way. The upper yod, meaning arm, represents the hidden or infinite aspect of Yahweh called Ein Sof, meaning without end whereas the lower yod represents the revelation of Yahweh to mankind. And the vav, whose meaning is hook, shows the connection between the two realms. So the vav, the slanted line, is thought to represent humanity since Adam was created on the sixth day. And the vav, the piece that's there, that letter, is the sixth letter of the aleph bait or their alphabet. The vav is diagonal instead of vertical since it is humbled in the face of God's mystery and revelation. The two yods also indicate the paradox of experiencing God as both hidden and close, far and near. Just one letter. Now, my Louisiana Pentecostal oneness Jesus name perspective the upper yod is the essence of what we understand as God the infinite, Father and Master. The lower yod represents the Holy Ghost or the small part of God that we can comprehend and that we receive 
while he is living here with us. And the diagonal vav represents Jesus who robed himself in flesh, the number six, the number of man, and the number of the vav, and humbled himself to bear our sins and become the connection point between the infinite God to live inside us as the Holy Ghost. Upper yod, Father. Slanted vav, Son. Lower yod, Holy Ghost. Three in one. The number of the Aleph. Hebrew also has a very in-depth meaning and it's gematria, or the number of things. Per the Jewish Virtual Library, a project on the American-Israeli cooperative enterprise, each letter in the, the Aleph Beit has a numerical value, and these values can be used as numerals, similar to the way that Romans did with some of their letters, with I and V and X and L and C, D, M using those as Roman numerals. The, the Jewish people use their letters the same way. So this is Aleph to Tav and the corresponding number in their gematria. The Aleph through Yod have values of one through 10. Yod through Kof have values of 10 through 100, counting by tens. Kof through Tav have values of 100 through 400, counting by 100s. The number 11 would be rendered Yod Aleph. The number 12 would be Yod Beit. The number 21 would be Kaf Aleph. The word Torah, which is Tav, Vav, Resh, He, has a numerical value of 611. The only significant oddity in their numbering pattern is the number 15, which if rendered as 10 plus 5 would be the name of God, which they do not write. So it, a 15 is normally written as Tet Vav, which is 9 plus 6. And because of the system of assigning numerical values to the letters, every word in the Hebrew language has a numerical value. And the discipline of Jewish mysticism known as gematria is devoted to finding the hidden meanings of the numerical value of words. So the basic gematria of Aleph is one. But since we know that the Aleph is made up of two yods and a vav, we can also look at the gematria of the parts of the Aleph. Two yods, each representing 10, the vav representing six makes 26. 10 plus 10 plus six, 26. So the Aleph can also represent a 26 gematria value. The name of God in the scripture, the unknowable name, we only have the consonants. They did not write the vowels because it was, it was forbidden to write the name of God because it was so holy. So all we have is a yod, a yod, he, vav, he which is in English, it would be a Y-H-V-H. That's how they would denote God in written form because they would not put the vowels in it. Yod, he, vav, he, together, the name of God, the gematria of it is 26, the same as the parts of the olive. God is one. He is master. He is first. He is God himself. Not only that, but if you spell out the sound of Aleph in Hebrew, that 
that sound, Aleph. If you spell out that sign, it's an Aleph, Lamed, Pei, which is 130 and 80. You add them together, it's 111. One, one, one. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, one. Even the sound of the letter itself reflects the oneness of God's nature. Again, there's even more. Again, from John J. Parsons, the writing, in the writing, or on Torah, Rabbi Dov Burr, the Megid of Mezrich, I think is how you say that. I'm not sure. He explained the first words of the Torah. We have it in our Bible as in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In Hebrew, it's Bereshit bara Elohim Ais, or Ace. In the beginning God created Ace. Note that Ace is an untranslatable word that indicates that a definite direct object is the next word coming. Thus, before, thus there needs to be an ace before the heavens and the earth. But Dove Burr points out that ace is spelled Aleph Tav, which is an abbreviation for the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and Tav is the last. So he reasoned, in the beginning, God created ace, A to Z in their language. He created the Aleph base. He created the Aleph bait. God created this before, that word comes before the heavens and the earth. So the, the letters themselves of the Hebrew language were created before the heavens and the earth, and God spoke those into existence with the letters he created and thus the letters of the of the Hebrew alphabet are considered primordial building blocks of creation that God spoke into existence and that still hang in the air today because creation is still here we speak and our sound goes away but God speaks and his sound echoes through eternity it goes on and on if I say, hello, now that sound is gone. The hello is gone. God speaks, let there be light, and there's still light today. And he uses these letters and these words. Another interesting observation by Baal Shem Tov says that the difference in the words goal, which means exile, and goolal, which means redemption, is the presence of an Aleph. You take the word for exile, which is Golal, and you put an Aleph in the middle of that word. Push the letters to the side, put an Aleph in the middle, and the word becomes Golal, which means redemption. If you insert the one, if you insert the master into the middle of exile, it becomes redemption. With, the God, with God, we are empowered to move from exile to redemption. And many of us find ourselves in exile, in problems, in situations, in circumstances. But if you put God in the middle of it, then it becomes redemption. 
that's all just from Aleph. So now let's reread our opening text with the understanding, not the full understanding, because there's much, much more that I could go on and say about this. But with all that being said, let's reread Psalm 119, 1 through 8. Aleph, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of God. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart. Then when I shall have learned of thy righteous judgments, I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. All of that in reference to the one, the master and the creator. In the Kabbalah, which is a collection of Jewish commentaries, the Kabbalah states that there are 6,000 years to the world, and then the world will end. That's what the Kabbalah says. And we, we've, talked, we've touched a little bit on the Kabbalah with Brother Chris. The Kabbalah was what the scribes and Pharisees used the version that they had then that was essentially a commentary on what Moses gave the Israelites. And a lot of it focused just on the words themselves and not the meaning of the commandments, which is why they got in so much trouble. But even in that, the Kabbalah says that there are 6,000 years to the world and then it will end. The first 2,000 years are indicative of the first meaning of Aleph, which is master. Because out of the chaos of what was nothingness, God spoke the world into existence and created all that is. He created Adam and he gave Adam dominion. And Adam then named all that was to give glory and honor to God and to keep the garden and the first 2,000 years are represented by master. The second 2,000 years started with Abraham, and they represent the second meaning of Aleph, which is teacher. Abraham was a fulfillment of the Torah, of the instruction that God gave the Jewish people even before Moses actually had it in hand. The Jewish people believe that Abraham fulfilled all of the Torah even before it was given to people in that God moved through him and he lived what God wanted people to do even in his imperfections. And the, the second 2,000 years are the teaching of God where the instruction to man was actually given and began to be lived and was written down. The final three, or the final 2,000 years is it comes from the third definition of Aleph, which is wondrous. The way that they get that definition is if you read the, the sound of Aleph backwards, it's Pele, which means wondrous in Hebrew. 
And so the last thousand years are the wondrous years, and those are the years of the Messiah, which is the time that we are in now, because whenever the Messiah is added to the world, then the world becomes wondrous, even in all of its chaos, even in, in all of its unrighteousness. When you add the Messiah, when you add the Aleph into the middle of exile, it becomes redemption. And the last 2,000-year period is the time of redemption. And that's from people that don't even believe in Jesus. That's just what their language means. So, if God created all of that and he used that language to speak the world into existence, then God is speaking to us. Not just saying words. God is speaking creatively into us. And the sounds that he makes whenever he speaks to us are sounds that are going to echo through our lives and carry us through every problem and every trial and every circumstance because when he speaks, his words don't end. They keep going. If we will but listen to his guidance and his direction, he'll lead us where we're supposed to go because he made all that is with just his voice. He made the building blocks of everything that you know and I know with just his voice. And if we will listen, that same voice will speak into us with creative power and it will move us. His voice changes everything. Now, all of that from Aleph. That's only the first eight verses of Psalm 119. That's only one letter of the Jewish alphabet. But all of that information has fed my soul and opened my mind to, wow, this is a whole lot more than I ever thought about whenever I read it before, which is why God says, study to show thyself approved unto God. Because sometimes God needs to speak things to you that are deeper than just what the words on the page say. But unless we stop and take the time to break down a passage of Scripture and say, now what does this really mean? We're only going to get the words on the page. God has been, since the beginning of this year, He has been taking us, just like the Bible says, from glory to glory. He has been taking us from service to service, from miracle to miracle. God is doing stuff in and among us, and not just our church, but other churches. It's our responsibility to make sure we hold on and we don't get left behind. We've got to jump onto the cart and grab a hold of it with both hands and say, God, wherever you're going, I want to go there. Now help me to find all of the things in your word that you want to speak to me today. And tomorrow, help me to find the things that you want to speak to me in that day. Because if we will listen, God will speak. If you would stand with me this morning. I'm going to go ahead and be done because if I go off into the other things, I'll be here for another 30 minutes. And I am not going to do that to y'all. But this morning, this is the way that I want to end the service. And then Brother Bruce can come and, and, and wrap it up. 
for our dismissal. But I want us to end the service. A lot of times we have a, an altar service or a prayer time where we're asking God for things or we're, we're praising God. We're all giving praise and we're giving honor and we're giving glory. And, and all those things are appropriate and we should do those things. But this morning, I want to end the service with thanksgiving. Not praise, not just telling God, God, you're good and God, you're wonderful. But with giving thanks to God. You know, it, it's one thing if you know somebody appreciates what you did, but it's a whole other thing if they actually tell you, thank you. That, that meant a lot. Thank, thank you for doing that. And so this morning, I want us to end the service as they, as they sing, just you and God. And just tell God, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us enough that you speak into us if we're willing to listen. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, thank you for the salvation that I have. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you for healing. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for, and you go through and list the blessings that God has given you. And end this service with a thankful heart this morning just you and God.